Good morning. It's good to see you here today, especially our guests that are visiting for the first time. We welcome you to Banner Church. It's great to have you here today. Uh, there's a lot happening in the church, and I would encourage um, all of, not just our members, but if you would like to attend the first annual business meeting, it's historical for our church at 5 o'clock this evening here at the church. We're going to be presenting an annual report from last year uh, on the finances of our church, but also, as Josh mentioned as well, we're going to be presenting him and Katie for this very important uh, vote for our future. The church is growing, expanding, not just locally, but obviously internationally as we have shared the vision. And tonight, uh, I'm going to field some questions too, because I've had a lot of people ask me a little more details about extending our influence to uh, Bangkok and being a church not only in the marketplace of Scottsdale, but the marketplace of Bangkok as well. Tonight, I want to share a little bit about some of the vision of the church and uh, maybe field some of the questions as well. And I promise you it will be less than an hour. It won't be a long meeting, probably five to six o'clock, but you're invited to come. And uh, even if you're not a member, we would love to have you here just to find out more about the church and where we're headed uh, in this really exciting, amazing vision that God has given us here at this church, amen? So we look forward to seeing you uh, this evening. In this topic of possess the land that we've been speaking about starting this series, it really uh, connects itself to laying claim to uh, the stakes that we drove into the ground. If you were here that Sunday, remember that a lot of you grabbed one of these uh, these tent pegs, if you will, out of Isaiah, and we're driving it into the ground and specifically and symbolically claiming what we believe is the promise that God has given us. And we know that um, when we do that, that that's the easy part. That's the fun part to be able to take these, these stakes or these pegs and drive it into the ground and say, God, I'm claiming this promise that you have given me. And when I was in Bangkok and Chandler's been videoing a couple of these services for me, so that our, really, it's, it's our family in Bangkok. They're going to be connected to us, and, and so they can hear this message as well. We also presented uh, these stakes to them as well as they came up at the end of the service a few weeks ago, and they're going around the city of Bangkok and saying, Lord, we're claiming this city, and we're claiming the promises that you have given us. So it's an exciting time. But there's an aspect of possessing the land, and I shared with you this last week on, about God sending us into the promised land to claim and promises. And everyone sitting here today is, is a part of the promise that God has given in his word. And everybody sitting here today has access to the inheritance. If you're a child of God, if you're a son and daughter in the kingdom, there's an inheritance. It's the same inheritance that that God uh, promised Abraham as he stood outside one night and God filled his heart with such great vision. And he said, Abraham, look into, up into the sky and count the stars, if you will, if you can, in Genesis. He says that your inheritance and the promise that I'm giving you will be greater than all the numbers of the star. And today that inheritance and that promise is for you. It's for the church. It's for me. It's for my family. But how many here know today that we have to go in and we stake our claim and then we possess the promise. Amen. And so there's something of our responsibility that's important to understand. And I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter two and look at our text here, beginning with verse number seven. And then I'm going to read verse number 24 out of Deuteronomy. And understand that the children of Israel have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. 
They've been hearing about the promise and the prophetic word that God had given them through Moses, that there's a promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's your inheritance, and the Lord's going to send you into this promised land. But there's something that probably they didn't fully understand, that when you come into a promise, they had to drive out their enemies who had claimed what was the Lord's, what belonged to them, and they had to not only claim it and drive their stake into the ground, but there was an act of, of actually driving out the enemy. It was the spiritual warfare that, that, that took place for them as they took these cities and claimed their land. For the Lord your God has blessed you, it says in 2.7, Deuteronomy, all the work of your hands. And he knows you're going through this great wilderness. In other words, I think it's important for us to understand this morning that God, he knows what you're going through. Because I said last week that we shared that that wilderness is like a prophetic roadmap, a prophetic roadmap of what it's going to take for us to get to the promised land. It's important for us to go through the dry times, the times when we're just hanging on to the promise, whether we feel like it or not, whether we feel like God is in this place or not, just by our faith and trust in the Lord, we put our trust in his promise. He says, I, I know what you've gone through. These 40 years for the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. In other words, God has met the need even in the wilderness, and he's met the need supernaturally. And every one of us here today has a testimony of how God has met the need of our life. Even through this, some of those difficult trials and wilderness that we've gone through, we can look back and say, God has met my need, and God has been with me as I look back over my life. But how many know there's much more that God wants to do? And in verse 24, he said, I want you to rise up. I want you to set out on your journey. And I want you to go over to the valley of Arnon. Behold, he says, I have given into your hand Sheon the Amorite, the king of Heshbon. He's speaking of one of their enemies that I've already given you this promise. Now I want you to rise up and go on this journey and he says to him something very important here. He says, begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. These are two very important principles that we're speaking about possess the land. Begin, I want you to go in and possess it, but I want you to contend with him in battle. And in this morning, I want to speak to you specifically about a biblical principle that applies to every life that is here today for us to understand possessing the land, possessing the promise, possessing the prophetic word that God has given to us as a church. There is a season where oftentimes God is saying, now I want you to go in and possess it, but I want you to contend for it against the enemy enemy who wants to keep you from your destiny, who wants to keep you from the fulfillment of these promises in your life. And there's something about contending that maybe the church has missed it that I want to speak about this morning very specifically. The greatest promises that have been manifested in my life personally where I've been able to experience the joy of the inheritance that God has given in my life, there's been that period in that place where I had to pray and to worship and to quilt the word and to believe in the promise. And it was just a part of contending for something. And, and the Lord is saying, I want you to possess it and I want you to contend. That word contend in the dictionary, it speaks, it's to wrestle or to battle, to grapple or fight 
And then it even uses the word to contend is to claim. And that's what we're speaking about here this morning. The Greek word for that word contend, it's to engage in a contest or strive for mastery. So I'm going to claim it. I'm going to fight with I grapple. I'm going to wrestle for this. Sometimes God's like, you got to go in there. The enemy's not going to just let go of what he has stolen from me and from you, but you're going to go in there to possess it, and there's going to be a place where you contend. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own ability. It's not in our personal strategies or some, listen to me, it's not a human method. This is a God method. Contending has nothing to do with some you know, graceful idea or program to possess the promise, but contending is about intercession and prayer and worship and just simply standing on the promise of God that he has given us and believing it and standing on it and claiming it until we are able to possess it and enjoy the inheritance that he has given us. Yesterday, I, I asked Bridget, and she's really been battling the flu and bronchitis, like so many people this week. And I, but I asked her yesterday, I said, Bridge, would you come up and just share um, one experience about contending where we've seen a breakthrough, maybe in our family, our ministry, in the past several years as we have literally contended to get to this promised land, this location, this building, so that now this is going to be a launching pad into the place that God has called us here in Old Town Scottsdale, and also a launching pad even internationally now that we're going to extend the influence of the kingdom through this church. But I could just share so many stories. I could spend all morning just sharing stories about how We've just had to contend. We had to lay claim to the promises. I shared a few of those stories last week and how we just continue to believe that the Lord is going to give us the land and in this place. And, and it was through that contending that God has given us such powerful breakthroughs over the years to get where we are today. I want to ask Bridget to come just for a couple of minutes and to share because there's some illustrations of contending that are so important for us as a church to understand that this is just the beginning there's so much more. This is only foundation beginning, but God is going to take us to much greater promises and inheritance for this church and for your life personally. Oh, when Dana was asking me, excuse me for my voice, but when Dana was asking me yesterday um, to share a story, a lot of stories went through my mind. Um, but I think the one that I want to share with you that probably hit home the most was when I was contending for my sons. And when we first came in 2011 to start the church, uh, transition never comes without pain, growing pains, and having to work through many different details. And so uh, both the boys had experienced some of those pains and some disappointments. And Jamin came to me probably um, about a year into us being here, and said, Mom, I don't think I believe in God anymore. And I was crushed. I thought, I'm spending my whole life loving people, sharing the word of God, standing on the word of God, and I'm about to lose my own son. And I thought, Lord, I cannot... I will not accept this. And so, Jamin, I wanted in my own strength and the kind of personality that I am, I wanted to just 
give him scripture and sit down with him and let him pray, let, let me pray with him and, and just say, you know, this is the reason why you need to stand on God's promises. I wanted to do all that, but I felt the Holy Spirit really just say, shut your mouth, keep your mouth shut really tight, and I want you to go into a fighting and a contending for your son like you've never had before. And God just kind of led me into this place of I want you to go on a 40-day fast. I'd never fasted 40 days before. I thought, I don't even know if I'm capable of doing this, God. But God said, I'll, I'll walk you through this, and I want you to just keep your mouth shut very tightly. And I remember just starting this fast and just going in and just saying, God, I fight for my sons. I fight for the promise. They're, they're my inheritance. They're my legacy. And I want my sons to worship you. If, if I win the whole world and lose my own sons, then I have not done my job. And so I stood on those promises every day. I would contend for Jamin every day. I would just sit there. Every time I felt a hunger pain, I would just say, that's just chopping the enemy's head off every time he would try to lie to my son. And I would just speak the promises and the truth of the Lord that he is with them and that I have established the word in their life and they will not depart from that word. And so as I just went and just cried out to God, I remember many nights just being up until three, four in the morning and just saying, God, I just contend for my son. I stand on the promise for my son like never before. And I, I am not gonna let the lies of former leaders or disappointments or things like that keep my sons from loving God. You know, I, I never put on my sons that they have to be in ministry or they have to do this or they have to do that. All I care about is that they love God with all their heart. That's what I want. I want them to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And that's what I fought for. And when those 40 days were up, Neither of my boys knew that I had been praying, and I, and I didn't feel like God told me. As a matter of fact, I just told Jamin last week we had uh, all his roommates over for dinner, and we were just um, enjoying each other's time and just talking and dialoguing. And before Jamin left, Jamin was asking us some questions, and, and he, if you know Jamin, Jamin really loves the Word of God. He loves to teach the word of God. He loves God. He, he loves to challenge those who don't love God. <laughs> um, and he just really clings to it. But I was telling him just the other day, I said, I know you never, never knew that we were doing this, but I spent those 40 days just fasting and praying for your soul. <laughs> it, it turned his heart. It really turned his heart. God turned his heart. And so I just want to say that, when it, I'm sorry I'm so emotional. I've been sick this last week, but I'm standing on the promise that I'm better now. But um, I just want to say that contending for your children, contending for salvation, contending for healing, contending for God's promises, it is what God says in the word. His, his word is yes 
and amen. His word never comes back void. His word you can stand on. All of these promises that God has given us, we can stand on. But sometimes we try to fight things in the flesh. And I know I'm guilty of that many times. And that's the reason why I felt like God put basically a muzzle on my mouth and said, I don't want you to fight this in the flesh or with your words. I just want you to fight it in the spirit. And so we want to employ you today to not just try to uh, reason or try to fight in your own ability, but to truly say, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. If I want to see something change, I'm going to fight for that change in the spirit. And so that's, that's really what changed my heart. And I've only done it about two 40-day fasts, and those two 40-day fasts were one for Jamin and one for Jensen. <laughs> I said, it did help me quite a bit. It helped me lose some weight. It helped me to, <laughs> it helped me to learn more about the Spirit of God and what it takes to see change happen, true change happen. And so uh, I want to employ you today to just contend for the things of God. Amen. Thank you. It's a message that is so important for us as a church. In my years of pastoring, I have had many people sit in my office and because of bad decisions or bad things that have happened to them, so many people I have sat with have said, I feel like my life is over, Pastor. I feel like there's no more hope that I've made such awful mistakes and or there's been unjustified actions that have come against me. I just feel like that it's too late for me. And that's exactly where the enemy would want so many people to think that have gone through horrible circumstances or they've been deeply wounded and deeply hurt and oftentimes out of our hurt and woundedness or out of even sometimes our shame. We feel like that the promises of God will be for somebody else who has lived their life differently or perhaps made better decisions. But I want to speak true to you here this morning that we serve a restoring God. We restore a God who not only heals the body, but he heals the soul and the mind and the emotions that, that God is a forgiving, merciful God that wants to restore and allow us again to claim the promises that he has for our future. It's never, it's never, it's never too late. And there is a place that we come in, as Bridget was saying, that we just begin to contend and stand on the promise that everybody's sitting here today. It's not too late for you, no matter what your age or what you have been through. I speak hope to you here today with all of my heart. I know the word of God is true, that you have a bright future. You have a glorious destiny in the kingdom of God. And God wants to use you. He wants to put the pieces back together. That's what the church is about. And I so appreciate as Josh led us this morning after worship, just praying for healing, that we want to be a church that's led of the spirit, that we believe in the supernatural, that God will restore body, soul, and spirit so that we can be a church that's whole. And as we become whole, we can minister wholeness to those out in the world that are broken. 
I just want to encourage you this morning that possessing the land is, is more than just staking the claim, but there is also a process where we literally go in and, like the Lord said to them, begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. There's another great story, and there's so many in Scripture in Genesis chapter 32. There's a man named Jacob that we've all read about and know about. In beginning of verse 26, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He's contending with the angel of the Lord. He's not letting go. He's basically saying, I'm going to get a blessing no matter what it takes. I'm not letting go. And he just continues to wrestle. And in verse 26, he said, the angel said, let me go for the day has broken. This has gone on long enough. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was a desperate man. He knew that without the blessing of the Lord, without the anointing of God in his life, that there was no hope for his future. It's like, I want the blessing of God in my life, and I'm not going to let go. And he said to him, what is your name? The angel said, and he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name no longer will be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. The, the name Israel, you can look it up. It means to contend and to prevail. Hallelujah. His name, his identity changed from Jacob to Israel, where that name means to contend and to prevail. And it speaks volumes to us here this morning that as we contend, as Bridget sharing the story, that going into the, this 40-day fast, I'm going to contend for my sons that they don't bow down to the idols of this world. They don't bow down to the lies of this world. And that contending is something that God needs to interweave into the fabric of the church and into our lives where we stand upon the truth and the promise of the Lord, not believing the lies of this world and even the half-truths. But I, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord, and I contend to do that. An important word for today and for the church, if I can say this to you with, with a pastoral love and, and everything, but yet to challenge you as well, that we are not here just to attend the church and to get a fix on Sunday morning. We don't just come here to get a good message and leave feeling good about ourselves. We're not coming to the church and anywhere in the world just to attend, but we're here to contend. Somebody say amen. Not just to attend. And I love, uh, Katie said something, Josh told me something Katie said a few weeks ago, and it just stuck with me. She says, I'm praying for a year where everybody just, they get along and they get to work. Hallelujah. And I loved it. I thought, that is so good. Let's just get along. Let's be in unity, and let's just get to work. Get along and get to work. <laughs> I love it. And I think getting to work is, let's just begin to lay hold of the claim. Let's begin to claim the promises of the Lord. And let's begin to see them lived out in the church. And this is what's going to draw people from the community where they realize that it's a true, that it's a church that's fruitful, a church that is abundant in the grace and the love of God. I love our mission statement, and, and I appreciate Nick and what he drew up here on the platform. And you've got the heart that speaks of our, our mission statement of love. And then you've got this torch, basically, of the discipleship and, and literally getting ready to hand off this torch to people. And then we send them on the ship over here. It speaks of the sending. And that's a fruitful church, one that's loving each other. We're getting along. We're in unity. We don't have to agree on everything, but we're in love with each other. We're in love with God, and we stand upon that promise. 
Then there's a discipleship that we're learning how to navigate this roadmap, this prophetic roadmap, especially through the wilderness that God oftentimes allows us to go through before we get to the promised land. It takes some very specific discipleship principles, and contending is one of those principles that we need to understand. We are not here just to attend, but we're here to contend, and we need to remember that this morning. Hallelujah. We take the stake and we claim it. We drive it in. I claim this promise. It's symbolic of that. But then, Lord, I contend for the truth that you have given me and given the church. And we're so excited about that. I was thinking this last week about a topic that, um, that oftentimes maybe it's been overlooked in the church. And some of you, if you know from history that in the 12th century, there was a code of ethics in, in northern France of, of those who were the knights of that day. This is in the late medieval, medieval times. And there's the word that we use, and it's kind of used loosely. You've heard this word chivalry. How many have heard that? You don't understand chivalry. It's been probably lost in the concept of our culture today where chivalry is something that was noble, something that was dignified, something that was important, especially for the knights who represented their king and represented their country, and more importantly, they represented their God. The knights were hardly regarded. They were the defenders of the king, the defenders of the country, the defenders of the citizens. And, and chivalry is often used even in the sense the defenders of those who are weak and those who don't have much. They're defenders of women and showing great respect and honor. And chivalry has something that maybe needs to be reintroduced. And I thought about this, that a part of contending is to understand that there's a code of ethics. There's the word of God. And we represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to defend the kingdom that God has placed me in. And I think that chivalry is something that needs to become popular once again in our society with all of the abuses that are taking place and the dishonor and the disrespect. And this is a church that one of our core values is to be honorable. And I think chivalry is a way for us to show honor. You can look up some of the, the 10 commandments of chivalry. I'll read through them quickly, but I think they're interesting. The first one is thou shalt believe all that the church teaches, and thou shalt observe all of its directions. Number two, the second commanded of chivalry, thou shalt defend the church. The church is not a building. The church is people that we, we defend each other, and it's like we want to have each other's back. And, you know, true loyalty is we, we talk about each other's strengths, and we defend each other's weaknesses. Hallelujah. That's loyalty. Do you have weaknesses? Yeah. Do I have weaknesses? Absolutely. But we, we talk about each other's strengths. We defend each other's weaknesses, and we defend one another. Number three, the third commandment of chivalry is, Thou shalt respect all weaknesses and shall constitute thyself the defender of them all. Number four, thou shalt love the country in which thou was born. We show honor to our country as a citizen that it's honorable. Thailand, I was amazed at the honor that they show the, the government, the king of, of Thailand is a very honorable person and held in great esteem and great honor. The king there, I saw pictures of the king everywhere we went in the city there. And it was very interesting to me 
the tremendous honor that they show and, their, and the pride in the citizenship of being a part of Thailand. Number five, thou shalt not recoil before thine enemy. In other words, you know what? I'm not going to stand down with my enemy because I know who has the greater power and authority is Jesus Christ. Number six, thou shalt make war against the infidel with cessation and without mercy. In other words, I'm not going to just de de defeat a part of my enemies. I want to drive all my enemies out and lay claim to the promise that God has for me. Number seven, thou shalt perform scrupulously the feudal duties if they be not contrary to the laws of God. In other words, I'm going to do everything possible without compromising the laws of God in order to contend and to win this battle and to lay claim of the promises that God has for my life. Number eight, thou shalt never lie and shall remain faithful to thy pledged word. Number nine, thou shalt be generous and give largesse to everyone. And number 10, thou shalt be everywhere and always the champion of the right and the good against injustice and evil. It sounds like something out of a great movie, doesn't it? <laughs> and as I was thinking about contending, when we have something to contend for, knowing that we live and exist in a kingdom that is a kingdom that is eternal, where Jesus Christ is the King of kings and we represent him, the, Paul calls it that we are an ambassador of Christ. And reintroducing this, this spirit of, of chivalry, I think is important in the church and especially for the men of the church to understand that we are the ones, that are the vanguards of our society to go to the front lines and, and to fight for our society, to fight for our citizens, to fight for our country, is, to fight for our families. And the men, God is raising up men like that once again to show honor and respect and to defend those who are weak. and to defend justice. There's many examples of this, and probably many of you have heard some of the, 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 the stories about um, Braveheart and maybe even seen the movie and the heart of Robert Bruce, but I wanted to read this anyway for those who are not familiar with the story. It's, it's really powerful. Braveheart did not just the movie, but the true story of it is after the death of William Wallace, the Scottish patriot, who he led the armies in the fight for Scottish independence. Robert the Bruce rose in power to lead the armies of Scotland after the death of Wallace. And Bruce ended up dying in 1329. This is just right during this period of time when chivalry among the knights and chivalry among the warriors and those who are fighting, claiming what was theirs and claiming their independence, claiming, you know, basically their rights. It was being just trodden on and overtaken. And these were men that God raised up, I believe. In 1320, he died at 54, but before he died, he requested that his heart be removed from his body and taken on a crusade by a worthy knight. James Douglas was that worthy knight and one of his closest friends was at his bedside, and he took on the responsibility. The heart of Robert the Bruce was embalmed and placed in a small container that Douglas carried around his neck. In every battle that Douglas fought, he literally carried the heart of his king pressed against his chest. Just try to imagine that. 
And Douglas went on to similar battles in Spain, but one occasion he found himself surrounded with death. Knowing death is intimate, he reached for the heart strapped around his neck, and he flung it into the enemy's midst, and he cried out, fight for the heart of your king. Fight for the heart of your king. And one historian quoted Douglas as shouting, forward brave heart as ever thou were wont to do, and Douglas will follow his king's heart of dying. And when you read stories like this, it is so compelling that here are men who are not walking in a spirit that we're going to possess the promises that we know are true and, and what God has called us to do, willing to give their lives and fight for the heart of their king. I think this is so compelling. In a first century rabbi named Honey, if you've ever read the book, The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, it's a powerful book on prayer and intercession, and he shares the story. The whole book is titled about circle makers, and Honey, this first century rabbi, they were living in a time of a drought where they were crying out to God for rain, and, and you know their, their livelihood depended upon it, and somebody had to step up and contend. Somebody had to step up and believe that, that God is the God of the heavens. God is the God of the rain, and he can send clouds. And he took a, a, his staff, and he basically he drew a, a circle around himself with the staff. And he basically said, I'm not going to leave this circle till God sends the rain and begins to end this drought that we're in, this wilderness that we're in as a people. And he draws that circle. He's called the circle maker. And he stands there and he just contends before the Lord and lays claim to the promise. And then the rain came and God ended the drought. God ended that wilderness time for the people of God. And in the same way for us, God will end the drought. God will end the wilderness and he will bring us into our promise and our destiny if we're just willing to contend. There's times that I, I realize that I can share these stories and it's inspiring. But I think it's important for us to understand that we need to designate times to contend. There's, there's a certain time of the week that for me it's a time where I'm completely alone. It's one of the evenings of the week that I try to designate and I, I, I usually come down to the church when nobody's around and it's just the prayers of, of claiming the promises and the prophetic words. And, and I'm, I'm walking around the building. And last night, walking around, it's like a designated time for me. Unless I'm out of town or gone, I, I stay faithful to this time of just contending for the promises and saying, God, release me from those wilderness and dry times in certain areas of my life. And I pray, and I'm just contending for it every Saturday night. And it's probably been some of the greatest breakthroughs I've seen in my life and my ministry. And as I just walk in the circles, I'm just reminding God of his promises. And I'm laying claim it. Then I'm rejoicing in it and just worshiping the Lord. Lord, I thank you for it, even though I haven't seen it happen yet. In the heavens, Lord, in the spirit, it's happened. You've given the promise. And I just walk around and I do that. And I'm just contending. And I designate a time for that in my life. In the book of 1 Kings, there's another man that contended. His name is Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of a rushing rain. And Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the Mount of, of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth. And the Bible says he put his face between his knees as he bows down. I mean, he's in, in this prostrate position with his face in between his knees. And he's believing, he's contending for rain again during this time of drought. 
And he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. And when he looked, he came back and he said, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. Go back again. Does it remind you? Seven times marching around Jericho. I don't know what it is about the seven thing, but God just wants to see, is this guy really serious? And he keeps sending him back. Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. We're going to keep contending until we begin to see just one cloud to give us hope that God's going to break this drought and bring us out of this wilderness. And in a little while, the heavens grew back. Prepare your chariot, he said. He comes back. He sees a cloud like a man's hand rising from the sea. And the heavens grew black with clouds and when there was a great rain and Ahab robe and went to Jezreel. And, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. You see this remarkable story. So many places in the Bible, Jesus even saying in the Gospels, men ought to pray and not faint. In other words, I don't want you to give up. I know what you've been through. Some, you've got brokenness, you've got wounds, you've got hurts, you've got disappointments. And why is God fulfilling his promises in those people over there, but he's not fulfilling the promise in my life? This disappointment alone can keep us from some of the promises that God has for our life. And I think that's a time, it's a sign to us where it's like, it's never too late. God wants to bring healing and life and wholeness to us. And he wants us to lay hold of those promises. And when we're possessing the land, there's that part where we go in and we just say, God, I know that you have a future and a destiny for me. It's not too late. I say to you that today is the first day for the rest of your life. You need to put your hand to the plow, as Jesus said, and not look back. That I'm going to look forward even Robert the Bruce, I mean, you look at these men that fought for the heart of their king even at the end of their life, that they were contending for what was right and what God had for them. And it's so inspiring to us here this morning that as this church, we're not here, as I said earlier, just to attend church. We're here to contend for the things of God and for our future and what he has for us. I'm amazed that God can take someone who is imperfect and has weaknesses and faults and just use them so greatly. The disciples who just oftentimes they floundered in their faith. The apostle Paul, oftentimes, I mean, the struggles they went through and they, they struggled just like you did and just like I do and they struggle, but yet God just continues to use them because they, they don't give up the fight. They continue to contend and know that God's going to use in our prayers. And it's not a matter, Bridget said, of doing things in the flesh, but it's just doing stuff, just contending in worship. And I say to you that our, our worship is not a preliminary to the word. The worship in a service in a church is the main event. The worship in your life is a main event. Because it brings us into the presence of God so that we can hear his voice clearly and we can really walk in a spirit where we're contending for the promises that God has given us. And we're contending in worship. We're contending in prayer. And basically, a lot of times, contending prayer is just praying the promises of God's word. 
I know nothing more powerful. It's like, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what I say or think, but I know what the word of God says. And I just pray the word of God. There's nothing more powerful. I meditate on the word of God. And the Bible said in Psalms 1, if we meditate on it day and night, we're going to be like a tree near water that's going to come into its season and it's going to be fruitful. And we're going to, God's going to move us forward to lay claim to the promises that he has for our life. We just claim that. We're just contending with the word, contending with prayer, contending in worship. As we do that, God begins to touch the situation and move things. And I close with this. About once a year, I, I give God glory for something that happened in my life that is probably one of the most remarkable miracles that I've ever experienced. And it it was a promise that was given and after my first year of college of being diagnosed with an incurable eye disease and the doctor saying you're going to be blind or visually impaired for the rest of your life. You need to accept it. How many of you know, when, tell you when a doctor says you have to accept something, something should rise up within you. <laughs> Say, you know what, I'm going to accept what the word of the Lord says. We have to be very careful. I, I respect physicians and all that, but there are times when God just will supersede what is in the natural because that's why he's a supernatural God. And they told me that it, 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 it seemed hopeless for me as I walked out of the office that day saying, you've got to learn to live with it. When I was my first uh, in college, when I was at ASU, my books were on cassette tapes. I went to a special learning center that I couldn't study I couldn't even, I didn't have good enough vision to read, and I, I, I listened to these tapes and when I studied. And the, the, just to shorten the story, we contended, and people prayed. I was anointed with oil, and I just kept standing on this promise and contending, God's going to heal me. And I remember the day that that healing came, and it didn't come like a miracle instantly, but we contended for those years when I was in college and believing. And, and it was one morning I was living here in Scottsdale. It was my senior year of college. It literally was the, the month of my graduation. And I won't tell you the year because that'll give away my young age. <laughs> and I look much younger than I am. I just went in. <laughs> and I, I woke up and just something was different. And I was looking at a picture on my wall and I thought, I never really noticed that picture before. And it was just so clear. And I saw the details of this picture on my wall. And then it clicked, something's happened here. And the Lord spoke to me, you have your miracle. This is the promise that you've been contending for and praying for. I was so excited. I called the doctor that who just retired last year. I've been going to him every year for 30 years just to check my van. I went down and the nurse, I came in and she said, this is not a scheduled visit. Why are you here? And I said, well, I wanna read the eye chart, the, the one I could never read before. And she said, look, I don't have time to fool around. You know, what is your problem? I said, I, I wanna read the eye chart. And she just seemed frustrated with me. So she shined it up on the wall for, from this camera and I began to read it down all the way down to this 2020 line. And this nurse said, Dr. Mackman's gonna blankety blank his pants when he sees this. <laughs> that was the first reaction, I'm just being honest. 
and he walks in. He does the examination. I'm waiting for his response. He knows of my faith. He knows he's the one that said, you're gonna be visually impaired or blind the rest of your life. And, but he knew I was contending and believing in a promise of healing that I believed in it and I stood on it. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Metcalf, I wish I could say this was the work of my hands, but it's not. And that's what he said. I wish I could say this was the work of my hands, but it's not what he's saying is something else is involved here and he didn't understand it. He called Channel 3 News. I have a video of it. I sh I, if I thought of it, I would have brought it this morning and brought a news crew into the doctor's office and I was able to sit there and share my story and give my testimony. And the next day I was on the six o'clock news on Channel 3 sharing the miracle that God had done in my life. Amen. That was years and years ago, and I go back every year, and he says to me, he said, You're, I had a corneal transplant in one eye, which shouldn't have gone this, I still have it, it's been 30 years, and he said, you know what, you've broken, he said to me a few years ago before he retired, he said, you have broken all the records. There's no sign of the disease in either eye still to this day, I can't find a sign of the disease. He said, you are getting a little bit older, so your glasses for reading are necessary. He said, but you are completely disease-free. He just kind of throws his hands up. He goes, you're just still living in the promise, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm still living in the promise, amen. I'm still living in the promise. And I, I guess I'm, it compels me to say to you here this morning, God has so many promises for each and every one in this place here today. I don't care where you've been, what you've gone through. I don't care how many mistakes you've made or what's happened to your life. God wants you to live in the promise. He wants to heal and restore, and he wants to release you with a great testimony of someone who has been through the wilderness, it's been through the desert, and say, but I have come out on top because I'm the head, I'm not the tail, hallelujah. And we begin to share a testimony to the world that my God is alive, my God is supernatural, and I'm living in the promise that he gave to me. Praise God. That's for each and every one. And as a church, Josh, as you continue to lead, don't forget this very important principle that I don't, I never know how long I'm going to have to go through a desert wilderness. You know, sometimes it's a few days, a few weeks, but let me give you a little tip if you want to get through it quick or quicker. It's a tip my mentor shared with me years ago. I was complaining to him. I had one of those pity parties that I talked about last Sunday where I invited a bunch of people to my pity party to hear about how awful this wilderness is that I'm in. And only a few people want to show up to your pity party. Why is that, you know? But he was, he came, he said, look, let me tell you something. If you go before the Lord and just ask him, what is it, God, you're trying to teach me and show me? in the middle of this wilderness because God will get your attention and usually what he'll say like he did the children of Israel, stop your complaining, stop murmuring, stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on the problem solver, hallelujah. Don't complain, just rejoice. Let God speak to you what he's trying to teach you and show you and walk in it. And if you do that, he'll take you through it much quicker. He'll shorten the longevity of your wilderness and your desert time. Some of you have been in it for months and maybe even years. Open your ears and begin to listen. What is God saying to you? 
And if you obey what God is saying to you, he'll take you through it much quicker and help you to go in and stake your claim and begin to contend and lay hold of the promises that God has for your life. It's time to put it behind you. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. And so oftentimes in my wilderness, I'm like, God, what are you saying to me? I don't want this thing to last any longer than it has to. And the Lord will say to me, just trust me. Just trust me. Keep your eyes focused on me and trust me. Don't murmur and complain. Don't idolize anything in this world. Just worship me. It's like you don't just get through the wilderness. Let me tell you something. You worship your way through the wilderness. You just worship your way through it. And I walk around and while the building is dark and I'm worshiping, I'm contending, I'm believing. I'm taking stakes and driving them into the ground at my home and on this property and claiming the things for the God in different parts of the city and just contending. And then when God brings the fulfillment of the promise of my life, and then I realize that, wow, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. I love it when those athletes score a touchdown or the football player where a baseball player hits a home run, they come in, and these guys, you know they're a believer when they point up at heaven, so I can give them God the glory. <laughs>